We, as the body of Christ, should be intensely craving the word of God. No matter what your schedule. Daniel had a busy schedule. Daniel was about the king's business. He was running an empire at this time. The Bible says he took time. He had time in his schedule. He made time in his schedule to separate, to discern, to understand. Daniel said back in Daniel, he said, I perceived in the books. Because of the word of God brings conviction, it makes it difficult for us to want to spend a lot of time in it. Also, the word of God calls for its reader to respond to God. Our natural tendency is to avoid conviction and to not have to respond. So we must purposely step out of the natural into the spiritual. You can easily tell when you're in the natural and the spiritual. Look at the quality and the quantity of your time in biblically sound dissecting of the Word of God. Welcome to the Followers of the Way podcast for December 9th, 2018. Today, Pastor Olu brings us a message called World Engines, Daniel, Let Us Pray. Pastor Olu reminds us that when we read the Bible, we should be reading it with the mind to understand it. He also says that we are to pray for the Holy Spirit to teach us and to help us understand the Bible so that it clicks and we can apply it to our lives. Now he'll be reading from the book of Daniel, so grab your Bible and follow along with us as we explore God's Word here on Followers of the Way. All right, Daniel chapter 9. This is going to be an introduction. So I'm just going to up the top tell you it's an introduction. I can literally say when I say last week, because we did preach last week on Daniel chapter 8, and we talked about the vision that Daniel had, the ram and the goat. We talked about Antiochus. We talked about the end of that, what was going to happen with him there. And we looked at the end. I'm going to read 827. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business because there was so much going on that Daniel had seen and so much he was getting exposed to about the end times that the Bible says that he got sick. That's how crazy the things that he saw and he was thinking about what was about to happen to him and to his people. And so we start Daniel 9 and we go back into the first year of Darius, king, son of Ahasuerus, by descendant Amid, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. And so what has happened, Babylon is finished. The Medes and the Persians have come in and now they are running things when Daniel, when we start Daniel chapter 9. Verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolation of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So what is Daniel talking about? All right, we're going to do some flipping. Get your fingers ready. Turn to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus 25. We're going to do some math too. So that makes this message even more fun. So we're going back to the children of Israel. God has given them commandments. He's given them different things. What you're supposed to do, how we're going to do different things as they have just left Egypt. Um, verse 25, verse 1, chapter 25, Leviticus 25, 1. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you, the land shall keep a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap what grows of itself in your harvest or gather the grapes of your undressed vine. It shall be a year of solemn rest for the land. 
The Sabbath of the land shall provide food for you, yourselves and your male and female slaves, and for your hired worker and a sojourner who lives with you and your cattle and the wild animals that are in your land. All its yield shall be for food. So what God said, so we know the concept of the Sabbath. One of the Ten Commandments was remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. God said once a week, every seven days, that it's going to be a holy day. It's a day of rest. That's what he instituted to the children of Israel. Remember, a lot of the laws that God gave the children of Israel to do a couple things. One, to prove he was God, to show how he likes things. Also, two, was to separate them from among the nation. God wanted his people to be separate. God wanted his people to look at them and say, wow, they do stuff different. Why? And then they would reflect why they did stuff different because of God. So one of the things was the Sabbath day. So the Sabbath day in Jewish traditional time was our Saturday. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they would work. They would do different things. On that Saturday, they would rest. There'd be no work. You remember the story. Jesus was walking somewhere and the guy was tilling this ground with his, with his uh, donkey, whatever. And the, the, his donkey fell into a ditch. And they asked Jesus, if his horse fell in addition to the Sabbath, should he pick it up? Because picking up your horse was actually work. Or picking up your donkey was work, and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. So this is how crazy they had gotten by the time we get to Jesus' time, that they were really, really strained with those rules and whatnot. And so the Sabbath day was every seventh. What God told them, he said, listen, not only do I want you to keep the Sabbath on this every seven days, I also want you to keep a Sabbath year. Crazy. And so every seven years, on that seventh years, there shall be no work on the fields because I want to give the earth, the ground, rest. Okay, so let's say the year 2000. So we got 2001, 2002, 2003. I guess I don't have to do all this, but I already started, so I'm going to keep going. 2005, 2006. 2007. So we got one, two, three, four, five, six. Sorry, one, one year, two, three, four, five, six years have passed. On the seventh year, this shall be a Sabbath year. And so God told them that on that year, every seven years, you don't sow any seeds in the ground. If anything grows, you don't pick it up, you don't reap it, none of that stuff for an entire year. Okay, another thing he wanted to give the land a rest, another rule that he put in place. So if we go back to 2 Chronicles. Turn with me to 2 Chronicles. So God told them all the way in Leviticus, this is how I want you to do this. And so we go to 2 Chronicles. It's after 1 Chronicles, which is after 2 Kings, which is after 1 Kings, which is after 2 Samuel, which is after 1 Samuel, which is after Judges. No, which is after Ruth. Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Yeah. So 2 Chronicles 36, verse 21. Second Chronicles 36, 21. So we're talking about Chronicles list the things that happened to the children of Israel. So in Second Chronicles 36, 21, it says, let's go back to 20, just for Miami. Uh, he took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword and, because, and became servants to him of his sons unto the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbath. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. What happened? Something happened. Turn with me to Jeremiah 25 to see what happened. And then keep, keep your fingers in 2 Chronicles. We're going to come back to that. Jeremiah 25. Now, I wanted to read 1 through 14. and I think I can do that. Jeremiah 25. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Now, who was Jeremiah? Jeremiah was a prophet. He was a prophet before Daniel's time. 
So he was way before Daniel. Okay? He, so Daniel grew up listening, reading the words of Jeremiah. Okay? So the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah concerning the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. When Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people in Judea and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem for 23 years from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me and I've spoken persistently to you and you have not listened. So Jeremiah said, God has told me for the past 23 years stuff to tell you guys in Judah and you haven't listened. Verse four. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you all the servants and prophets, saying, Turn now, everyone from his evil ways and his evil deeds, and dwell upon the land the Lord has given you to all your fathers from old and forever. Do not go after other gods. Do not serve and worship them. Do not provoke me to anger or the work of your hands. Then I will do no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of of your hands to your own harm. Jeremiah said, for years we've been trying to tell y'all to do right, do what God said, but you haven't listened. Verse eight, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, therefore, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send all the tribes of the north, declare the Lord. He's gonna send them all. Guess which one he's gonna send also. And for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, I will bring him against this land and against its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations, I will devote them to destruction. I will make them a horror, a hissing, and an everlasting desolation. This was before Nebuchadnezzar showed up. They didn't even know who Nebuchadnezzar was. But Jeremiah said, listen, because y'all not listening, I'm going to send this guy named Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to come with Babylon, and he's going to put some hurting on you. Verse 10, moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstone and the light of the lamp. This, the whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. So he's going to take these people, he's going to punish them and the whole land has become wasteland. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. I will bring upon the land all the words that I have uttered against it, everything written in this book, which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall make slaves, even of them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and according to the work of their hands. So God said that through Jeremiah that I'm going to punish you, children of Israel, for 70 years. Why for 70 years? Flip back to 2 Chronicles 36. 2 Chronicles 36, 21. To fulfill the words of the Lord by the mouth of the prophet Jeremiah. So we already know what's going on. If you look up real quick, I won't read it, but you, if you look up in verse 17, 18, 19, and 20, he's talking about Babylon. Jerusalem's going to be captured. Babylon's going to come and they're going to destroy you. So you get to 21 and he says, why? To fulfill the word of the Lord by the prophet Jeremiah until the land has enjoyed its Sabbath. All the days it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. What happened was this. God told them in Leviticus, make sure you keep the Sabbath every seventh year so the land can get its rest. Guess what the children of Israel did? They did not. So for 490 years, the Bible says, for 490 years, they disobeyed God. They did not keep that Sabbath day. Every seven years, they didn't do it. And so God said, okay, 
out of that 470 years that you disobeyed me, you were supposed to, every seventh year, have a Sabbath. So this is what we're going to do. Every seventh year that you missed, that's how long I'm going to snatch you out of the land. God said, I'm going to get mine. I told you I wanted seven years of leaving the land alone. I'm going to get mine. You didn't want to give it to me when I asked for it. I'm going to get it all at once. So here comes this guy, Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to take you. He's going to snatch you out of the land, bring you to his land. And for 70 years, you're not going to be able to plant nothing, reap nothing, or do any type of work on that land. I'm going to get mine. This is what happened. This is why those seven, this is what that 70 years came from. And so when you turn back to Daniel chapter 9, what it sets the scene of what was happening. We just read Jeremiah chapter 25. Guess who just read that also? Daniel. In Daniel 9, 2, it says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So Daniel said, I picked up the book. I was reading my Bible study, Jeremiah. And I'm like, wait a minute. Jeremiah said that this was going to last for 70 years. And what happened in context is Daniel began to realize, oh, we're at the end of the 70 years. It's about to be over. Oh, my goodness. This thing's about to be over. So we're about to be able to go back to Jerusalem in a minute. And he was getting excited. And that's how he starts Daniel chapter 9. He starts with a prayer. Now what you see, you might see it in your Bible. Some Bibles have like titles of the sections that are coming. You'll see Daniel's prayer, Daniel's great prayer for prayer for his people. We're going to get into that starting at verse 2. After he saw what he read was interesting to me and what I love to read before the prayer, he set it up with the reading of the word. And I think that's very important. I don't think we should pass that over. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books. That word there, perceived, is a Hebrew word, ben. That word there has the idea, when you look at it in its original language, it has an idea to discern. It means an understanding, which is a result of comparative study or mental separation. So what Daniel was saying was he perceived or he looked at or he understood from what he read in the book. That word also has the idea of making careful distinctions in our thinking about the truth. The literal word means to separate when you look at it. And so it basically means to separate things from one another at their points of difference in order to distinguish them. When I read that, I started thinking when Melissa washes clothes, she folds them out of the, wash, the, the dryer, put them in a bunch of baskets, bring the baskets upstairs, and then she separates them. And so you got like four or five baskets of clothes, all kind of clothes. And she goes through, it's like, okay, uh, here's Jaden's pants, uh, put those here. Uh, Janiah's shirts, put those here. Uh, uh, Olu's um, uh, socks, put those here. And you go through the laundry and separate. So you're separating things according to their differences. And so in order to do that, you have to distinguish. You have to look. You have to think. You have to break things down. Okay, this goes here. This goes there. That is what the Bible, the word that Daniel chose to use when he talked about how he read his word. Daniel perceived 
That word means that he took and he discerned. He used understanding. When we read our scripture, what I get from this and reading this is that Bible time, when I read the Bible, it's more than just a, okay, reading some words, uh, go through, and I'm done. The Bible says what Daniel did, when he opened the scriptures, he discerned or he understood or he perceived or he considered. That word means that he took time to look at the passage and begin to separate the truths. Okay, this, oh, that's good. Okay, what does he mean by this? Okay, I'm gonna put that there. Does he come back and talk about this again? Oh, that's great. Hmm, let's look at this piece. And so when we look at how Daniel, during this time, he was going through all this persecution, he was away from his family, he's been there for years. He had just seen these visions that, oh my goodness, the world is about to go off. It's about to get crazy. What did he do? I'm gonna read some Bible. I love that. And we looked, he didn't just read, and then he spoke to me and fell in a deep sleep and a face to the ground, and he touched me and made me to stand up. He said, behold, I will make known the latter end, amen. Thank you for the reading of the word. Okay, I got my Bible reading for the day, I'm good. No, the Bible said that Daniel took time and he distinguished and he separated and he studied gets our word for understanding. That's what understanding means. You ever had a subject in school or, or something that you really didn't understand? Remember when it clicked and you got it? Like, oh, whoo, got it. That right there, that clicking, that, uh, that is understanding. That means that you were able to look at that and at first it was all muddled together. It was a basket with a bunch of clothes from everybody in it. But you were able to separate the truths that were inside of that such that now at the end of that you can see, oh, okay, all these are Janiah's clothes, all these are Layla's clothes, all these are Ola's clothes. Oh, and these are Ola's clothes that go in the drawer and these are my clothes that go hanging up. Oh. Maybe to separate it now for better understanding what's there. This is how we should treat the word of God. When we read our Bibles, when we take our time to study the word, it should be such that I am looking for understanding. I'm not just reading to read. I'm not just reading to get some pleasure in it. I'm reading to understand the truths that are inside of this. We know that understanding comes from God. Turn with me to Job chapter 32, verse 8. As I read scriptures, I am looking for understanding. The Bible is different from any type of book that you have or any type of book that you read. There's something in it that I need to understand, that I need to have, that I need to apply. And so my reading of the scriptures, when I take time for my own personal Bible study, should be that. It should be a study. It should be an intense time to separate the truth, to get down into it. Oh, well, that's hard. Yes, it is. But the first thing we need to understand that understanding comes from God. God didn't put it on me to try to understand it. He said, listen, understanding comes from me. Job 32, verse 8. But it is the spirit in man, the breath of the almighty that makes him understand. Verse before, he said, I said, let days speak and many years teach wisdom. Where does understanding come? Understanding comes from the almighty. Turn to John 14. We're going to be flipping today. I already told you. All right. John 14, 26. Understanding comes from God. I need to understand. It's hard for me to understand when I read the Bible. It's hard for me to break it down. Hey, 
First understand and understanding, first understand. First know, acknowledge that understanding comes from God. So John 14, 26 says this. Jesus is speaking. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. It's hard to understand, yeah. Understanding comes from God and the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will teach us. Everybody think about the best teacher you ever had. Just think about him or her. My teacher, her name was Miss Dawson. I used to love Miss Dawson. She had a way of breaking stuff down, my second grade teacher. What I remember most about her is that she ate, and this was the first time I heard the word nabs. Y'all know what nabs are? Mm-mm. The, the packs of cookies, the packs of crackers. You know them six packs of crackers, like the crackers? Ritz, like the Ritz, you know, the six Ritz crackers, the cheese or peanut butter or the, the funky cookie with the peanut butter inside? She used to call them nabs. And she used to always pick me. Olu, can you go to the uh, teacher's lounge and bring me back some naps and a Sprite? I used to always love to do that. And she never got you any. Never got me any. Oh, but, it was, but it was always fun. But anyway, it was Miss Dawson, second grade. I remember her, I remember probably mostly because of the crackers and, and, so, and soda. <laughs> but she used to teach also. But you think about the best teacher you ever had, that teacher who really took time, the teacher who really uh, uh, showed interest in you, that teacher that really broke things down. The Bible says that understanding that comes from the scripture comes from God and that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. You can't ask for a better teacher than that. A teacher who knows it all, literally all knowing. <laughs> a teacher who loves you so much. A teacher who created you. And so understanding comes from God. And so as you're reading the scriptures, ask God to make it click. I love it when stuff clicks. I took some hard courses when I was in school. I remember this one class, solid state physics is what it was. Or was it quantum physics? It was one of them two. But it was ridiculous. Like, it, it was ridiculous. And the teacher was one of the smartest people I've ever known. And so that class was hard. Our book was like that thin, and that's a problem. You're supposed to have thick books in school. If your book is this thin, that means they ain't explaining a lot of things. <laughs> and that's what would happen. We had a problem was if there was a box and a black box and a cat was in the box, is the cat alive or dead? That was the problem. And we had to show mathematically if the cat was alive or dead inside the box. The class was hard, <laughs> this is what I'm trying to tell you. All right? And I remember taking those classes and I remember as incredibly difficult those things were, I remember those few moments <laughs> where stuff used to click. I'd be looking at an equation, I'd be working like Schrodinger's equation. It's got like letters and symbols and stars and Pokemon in it. It was, it was a crazy equation. And, and you're going through the equation and then you put a number in and you sit there for days and days and weeks and weeks and you finally get to the end and it'd be like, oh, it's three. The answer's three. And it just clicks and that joy you get when, oh, you got it. Or you get anything. You're working on your car, I'm working on my car and the things, try Jaden, nothing. Try Jaden, nothing. Try Jaden, nothing. Try Jaden, vroom, vroom, woo! That moment when it, when it clicks, when you finally get that understanding, when you finally get it, that happens when you read the scriptures. That can happen, why? Because God has given it to us, 
and understanding of the scriptures comes from God. And God has given us the Holy Spirit to teach us. And so as you are reading your scriptures, go to God, go to the Holy Spirit, ask him, God, I need you to make this click. Your word tells me to get into your word. I want to understand it. It's very difficult right now. So help me make this click. And the Bible says he will because he is the teacher and he wants us to do that. So after God makes it click, make sure that you make it clack. I added that myself. Oh, yeah. Gotta preach. After God makes it click, you make sure you make it clack. And by that, I mean put it into practice. You do something. Don't just read the word just for, oh, I got it. Now I understand it. No. The reason we need to understand it, we need, we need to go into separations is so that we can actually do what the word says. Understanding comes from the scripture. Turn to Psalms 119. What's the longest chapter in the Bible? Psalms 119. It's so long it comes pre-sectioned out. 176 verses. Psalms 119. Understanding comes from God. This ability to be able to make careful distinctions of the truth of the word of God. This ability to be able to separate the word of God so that you can get that understanding and apply that. It comes from God. It also comes from the actual book we're talking about. It comes from the scriptures. Psalm 119, 34. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Flip over to verse 73. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. There's that word again. Flip over to 125. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. And then flip over to 144. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. That understanding comes from the testimonies. The testimonies is another word for the word of God. So how do I get my separation? How do I break down the word? How do I get that understanding that I can apply to my life so I can put it into practice? It comes from the word of God. But although it's hard, it's hard to read, it's hard to understand, I get it. It's supposed to be hard because it's a spiritual thing and our natural minds are natural and we want to do what's natural to us. And so to do something spiritual takes effort. It takes work. It takes an unction from the Holy Spirit. It takes you dedicating yourself to do that. Olu naturally would just sit on the couch. That's naturally. OK. So in order to do out of natural, I have to apply some energy to do that. I like when Padilla uses the push-up example. It's hard to do push-ups. If I ask you to come in here and do 50 push-ups or do 100 push-ups, it'd be hard, especially if you've never done a push-up before, especially if that's not your practice or I'm a push-up kind of guy. If that's not you and they say, okay, let's go do 100 push-ups, it's going to be hard. And so how do you get to that? You have to practice. You start with doing one push-up. You start with doing two push-ups. You start with doing five. You start doing 10 push-ups a day. You continue to do that. I remember we used to do, I used to do, I don't do it anymore, sadly, uh, the P90X. And the hard thing on P90X for me was Ab Ripper X, because you're supposed to do that after you do a regular workout. And so Ab Ripper X had, I think it was, what, 14 or 15 ab exercises that you were supposed to do. And it was rough, okay, because I used to do them at night and I was already tired. And what's Tony, whatever his name was, he'd be so excited. I used to hate his face. Not hate his face, literally, but figuratively, because he was so excited about exercise and I was not. But one of the things you had to do was you had to get on the ground, um, sit on the ground. You had to pick both of your feet up 
So your back was off the ground, your feet was off the ground, so the only thing on your ground was your butt, your knees were bent. And you had to take your hands like this, and you had to reach over and touch one piece of the, the, the ground, and then reach over and touch the other side. And you had to do that 40 times. When I first started, I could not get my feet and back off the ground at the same time. It was, all right? So it took me, oh yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> it took me a week just to balance on my buttocks. Then, to be able to stretch over, every time I reached over, I would fall every single time on both sides. And so my exercise would be more of a rolly back and forth, <laughs> like the balls would roll back and forth, because it was so hard to do. And he'd be there, okay, come on, guys, we can do it. Oh, it's so fun. Let's do some extra. Let's do 10 extra. And I'd throw something at the TV. The point I'm making is that it was very difficult at first. I finally got to the point where I could get 10 of those things. And I'll just stop the story there. So it was good because I kept going and I kept practicing. Same thing with the word of God. It's not a natural thing. This is a spiritual thing. And so I must first get my understanding from God, ask God to help him make it click, and then put in that work. And just like push-ups or any type of exercise, there are both outside benefits and inner benefits. When you work exercises, there are outside benefits. Your body begins to change shape because of the work that you're putting in. I mean, then there's also inner benefits. You're more healthier. Your heart is better. Uh, you have more endurance. All of that because of the work you're putting in. The same thing when it comes to the scripture. There are outer benefits. If you take time and you study the word of God and you break down the word of God and you separate those truths and you apply that energy and you just don't do what I was doing with that first exercise. Oh, yeah. Feel the burn. What's that commercial? Uh, that Geico commercial with that girl's on the treadmill. <laughs> like, exercise is my life. Like, she's on the phone. I feel the burn. She's, like, not even moving. Sometimes that's how we are when we read the scriptures. Oh, I read my Bible today. And it's just, okay, uh-huh. Here the verse, understand the love of the Lord. Of course, your justice give me life. They draw near, pursue. Oh, my phone just rang. Who that text me? Oh, that girl crazy. All right, what was that? Then they draw near to persecute me with the evil purpose. And they oh, man, I got to make sure I do that at the end of the day today. Okay, I got to okay, make sure I do that. Where was I? Um, long I've known your testimonies. You have found them. Okay, thank you, God, for reading your word. Amen. I'm done. I got my Bible in today. No, you didn't. You did not. Understanding comes from the teachers and preachers of the word. Turn your Bibles to Nehemiah 8, 1 through 8. We're talking about understanding. The idea of this breaking down, considering, perception, discerning. Mentally separating the truths when we look into the scripture. We know our Bible isn't written in chronological order. You can buy those books, you can buy those Bibles, they call them chronological Bibles that actually come in order. But when we look at the Bible, the six, six books that we have now, they're not written in chronological order. When we talk about Ezra and Nehemiah, those books come after the events that we're reading here in Daniel. So remember, we're talking about Daniel and the chapter nine starts off with him saying how that the 70 years he was reading in Jeremiah, the 70 years were coming to an end. Well, that's exactly what happened. Once Persia came, the Medes and Persian came, Cyrus the king came and he told the Israelites, the Jews, that they could go back to their home. And so at the end of those 70 years, following the prophecy, exactly what God said would happen, the Jews were able to go back home. And so when we get to Ezra and Nehemiah, it dictates or it tells what happens during those times. Get the book of Ezra. It talks about how they built a temple, how they instituted, reinstituted some of those traditions that was there. 
the book of Nehemiah talks about them rebuilding the wall. So they're ex establishing themselves as a people again, getting themselves back away from captivity, back in Jerusalem, back in Judah, becoming a people of God again. And so when we look at Nehemiah, it gets to what was going on during that time after they came out of Babylon. So I'm going to read Nehemiah chapter 8, starting at verse 1. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood, and here come some names, Mataniah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maaseah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malchajah, Mashem, Habadanah, Zechariah, and Meshulam on his left hand. Verse 5, and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered him, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their hands and worshipped him, the Lord, with their faces to the ground. Also, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hadui, Mashia, Kalida, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Palalia, and the Levites. Here's the part I want to get to. All those people we name help the people to understand the law. Help the people to understand the law. There's that word again. While the people remain in their places. Verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God, clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. God has given teachers and preachers of the word to us so that they can read from the book clearly and give the sense of it so that the people can understand. And so as we look at understandings from God, from the scriptures, it also comes from preachers and teachers. And so the admonition to us is to make sure that the preachers and teachers that you're listening to and that your family is listening to are ones who help you understand the scriptures, that they read clearly, that they give the sense and that you understand. Notice it didn't say look for people that they sounded good. That's not the responsibility. Not to sound good, not to make you feel good, but are biblically dissecting, discerning, separating the truths of the word of God. When you listen to preachers and teachers, the word of God is the focal point, nothing else. And the children of Israel, when they came out of captivity, God put those people there so they could read clearly, give the sense, and so that people could understand the reading. We have to make sure in the body of Christ that we guard the truth of the understanding of the word of God and that we emphasize those who are doing what the scripture says those who preach and those who teach should do according to the word of God. Understanding. 
Back in Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books. I love that. In the books. Daniel said, I perceived, I broke down, I was studying the books. And he's talking about the word of God. He's talking about the prophets, the books, the scrolls that were there, Jeremiah, all the prophets there. He was looking at in the books. He didn't say in the year I, Daniel, was uh, perceived or studying in Z88.3. He didn't say it was in the podcast. He didn't say he was on TBN. He didn't say he was listening to online messages. He said that I perceived in the books. There is no substitute for understanding the word of God. There's nothing wrong with the 88. There's nothing wrong with podcasts. There's nothing wrong with looking at uh, TBN, some of the mess, some people up there. There's no wrong with uh, studying or listening to online messages. There's nothing wrong with that. That's great. We should have those things to help us understand and to listen to more as long as they're preaching the word of God, what God says. But do not, do not replace the actual you studying the word of God for those things. That's the point that we're getting here from Daniel. Daniel said, I was in the book. There's no substitution for understanding the book. Turn with me to 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Hebrews, James, 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2, 2, I'll read one. So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Verse 2, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. King James says long for the spiritual milk of the word. That word long for means to desire. That's a strong word. That means to long for, a desire. It actually means to yearn. That's, a, that's another, that's an old people word. To yearn, to intensely crave something with the implication that the one longing recognizes the lack of the need. That's what that word there. So Peter said, you should yearn for, you should intensely crave the word of God knowing that you are in lack of it and that you need it. The tense that that word was written is in the Greek is called aorist imperative. That means that it's written as an action. It's a cause for a decisive action. It means just do it. Do it now. Don't wait. It's a command. It's not an option or a suggestion. Peter says that as spiritually minded people, we should crave, intensely crave the word of God. I think about, example about a little baby. You've seen a baby in Eden, y'all got Eden, but you think of a little baby, like the baby could be chilling or kind of hungry and kind of a little fussy, but once you start reaching for the bottle and then you get the milk and you put the top on the bottle, all of a sudden the baby goes crazy. Like, yo, you would just chill just a second ago. I pull in a bottle and you're going crazy? The baby begins to go get intense. Why? Because the baby understands that sustainment of life is in that milk. The baby might not understand what sustainment of life means, but the baby knows that I'm feeling a certain way empty. I need something. And whatever's in that bottle, when it gets in me, I feel good. And so when that bottle comes out, you see that baby change. Ah, ah. Or if a baby hungry, just crying, 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 crying. They're not saying crying. They're literally crying. But why, 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 why? Because the baby is intensely craving. The baby understands that time is of the essence. You try to pull that bottle out and just, uh, just give me a second. 
Then in a minute, that baby's gonna lose her everlasting mind. Why? Because the baby's like, okay, now it's time to eat now. I've got to have that food now. The baby is able to distinguish between when they are empty or hungry and when they're full. You see when a baby, after they finish, what happened? Laughing or sleeping, just relaxing. Why? Because the baby's able to understand the difference between I don't have it in me right now, I see it, I need that in me. There's something wrong. Okay. I'm chill now. The baby is able to see the distinction between those. And guess what? The baby never has excuses. It's never like, you know what? I'm starving right now, but I know we're driving in the car, mom, and you probably don't have time to warm it up. So I'll chill and I'll wait till you get. No, no, no. The baby, listen, I don't care. We in church. We at home. We in a grocery store. It's three o'clock in the morning. It's five o'clock in the morning. It don't matter. The baby understand, never has excuses. No matter what the schedule is, the baby was ready to eat. That's why I think Peter specifically says, like a newborn baby, crave intensely the milk of the word of God. All those characteristics that the newborn baby has, baby understands I need that right now and I'm going to go off until I get it. The baby doesn't have any schedule. It's not like, oh, you know what? I already ate this morning, so I'm not going to eat. No, I need it again. The baby understands that time is of the essence and the baby understands when they are empty and when they are full. Peter says we should do the same thing. It's a command. That same intensity that the baby is looking for food, we, as the body of Christ, should be intensely craving the word of God. No matter what your schedule. Daniel had a busy schedule. Daniel was about the king's business. He was running an empire at this time. But the Bible says he took time. He had time in his schedule. He made time in his schedule to separate, to discern, to understand. Daniel said back in Daniel, he said, I perceived in the books. The word of God is living and active, according to Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. The reason why it's difficult to do this and reason why this is a challenge to us at times is because of what the word of God does. The word of God does two things. One, it brings conviction. Because the word of God is living and active, it's the only book that's living and active. These are the actual words of God. And so it brings conviction, meaning I read it, I see where I'm wrong, and I feel bad. Or I, also, I need to change something. We in our natural states don't like to change. And so because of the word of God brings conviction, it makes it difficult for us to want to spend a lot of time in it. Also, the word of God calls for its reader to respond to God. When you read the word of God, it's a call for response. There's something I have to do because of what I read. And in our natural tendency, this is why it's hard. I don't understand it. It's difficult for me. I don't really don't have time. Why? Because our natural tendency is to avoid things that convict us. If your mama continue to tell you everything you did wrong every time you walked in the room, how many times you walk in the room? Here she go again. Oh, boy. All right. Yeah, I know. I did that and I did this and I did this and I did this and I'm terrible and I'm wrong. I got it. You don't want to hear that. Our natural tendency is to avoid conviction and to not have to respond. So we must purposely step out of the natural into the spiritual. You can easily tell when you're in the natural and the spiritual. Look at the quality and the quantity of your time in biblically sound dissecting of the word of God. The quality, how are you breaking it down? separating like those laundries, like those clothes and the quantity. How often do you do that? 
Also, and we're going to get into that next week, prayer. The quality and the quantity of the time you spend in biblically sound prayer lets you know whether you are living in the spiritual or living in the natural. Our responsibility, the word says, is to live in the spiritual. And so we need to take time, as Daniel did, to get in the book. Now, this is an introduction to set up to this prayer that he's about to pray in verses three, all the way to verses 15. And we're going to look at that prayer and we're going to look at how we as the body of Christ, how we should pray and how God responds to us in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for your word. We pray, God, that you will help us as we study your word. As we look into it, God, that we would do like Daniel did, that we will spend our time getting understanding out of your word, not just reading it for reading's sake, but to look for those understandings, to look for those things to separate, those truths to separate so that it will click and then we can apply it to our lives, God. I pray that we would ask you for help. I thank you for your Holy Spirit, God, for telling us in your word that you have sent your Holy Spirit to help me understand, to teach me. And I pray, God, that I will take the time necessary like a newborn baby, God, to crave, to not look for excuses, but to actually effectively go for and seek to be full of the reading and studying of your word. I pray, God, as we go through Daniel 9, that you will show us what you have us to know about ourselves, God, that we will live a life holy and pleasing to you and that we will look at the quantity and the quality of the time that we spend in your word as the body of Christ. We love you. In Jesus name, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Followers of the Way podcast. If you like more information about Followers of the Way Church, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash FOTW Church. We trust and hope that you've enjoyed hearing God's word and how to apply it to our lives. Our podcast is updated weekly, so remember to follow us here at Followers of the Way.